are listening to the Women Encouraged podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Berendrecht. We're all about growing in Christ and being shaped by His Word, so I'm delighted to be sharing with you these discussions with women who love the Lord, love His Word, and are pursuing a life of faithfulness in Him. We're praying that this is a place of blessing and encouragement for you. Welcome to the conversation. Hi, friend, and welcome to the Women Encouraged podcast. I can't tell you how excited I am to share this conversation that I had with Michelle Van Loon, author of Born to Wander. Michelle and I discussed her book, but also we talked about what it means to have the identity of a pilgrim and how the gospel informs this identity. She talked about holy remembering, and it's not navel-gazing. It's actually remembering God because He remembers us. I am so excited to share this with you, and I really hope it's a blessing to you. Michelle is a wife, mom, grandmother, and author, and she has had a life full of moving around, both in her personal life and her coming to faith in Jesus Christ from a Jewish background, as well as moving locations multiple times. Michelle's warmth and her insight are such a blessing, and I'm really grateful to be able to share this conversation with you today. But before we get started, I just want to tell you really quickly about this episode's sponsor, Dental Care Center in Grand Prairie. I know you might not live nearby, but if you do, you should go visit Dr. Gary Symbolik at Dental Care Center because he and his team are excellent and such a delight to be a patient of. They sponsored our event, Women Encouraged 2019, this last year, and they're also helping to keep the podcast on the air. So thank you very much to Dental Care Center. You can find them on the web at dentalcarecentergp.com, as well as on Facebook and Instagram at dentalcarecentergp. Okay, Michelle Van Loon, welcome to the Women Encouraged podcast. It's a joy to have you on today. I am really looking forward to our conversation. Would you introduce yourself, Michelle, to our listeners and just give us a little picture of what your life is like and and share with us what your work is as well? Okay, I'd be glad to. Um, I am a nearly 60-year-old Um, grandmother of two, mom of three, and you'll notice that I put it in the proper order as all grandmas will um, by putting the grandkids at the top of the heap. I've been married for almost 40 years to Bill and um, we've lived many places. I'm in the middle of getting ready to move again at the beginning of the summer which kind of was the impetus. Um, All of this moving and relocation um, in our lives was one of the contributors to why I wrote the book that we're going to be talking about today. Um, The book is called Born to Wander, Recovering the Value of Our Pilgrim Identity. Um, I am a writer. I've written for most of my adult life homeschooled my kids um, through the end of high school, which now I look back and I'm still kind of amazed that we all survived that journey because um, it is a, it's a long one. It's parenting on steroids. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> um, and um, I've, I've done a, a variety of writing over the years, curriculum reviews, plays, skits, lots of article, 
um, curriculum um, for the church. And now in the last years, um, several books. I have five in print and I'm working on book number six right now in the middle of getting ready to move. That is a hefty workload, I have to say, like, especially on top of being a mom and a grandma and a wife and everything. But I love that you're just continuing to use your gifts to share with God's people. I love that. That's wonderful to hear. Um, I was intrigued when I first heard about this. I was really intrigued because as an international transplant, which I feel like is almost pretentious to say because it was just the U.S. to Canada, um, but just because of really learning what it means to um, live in a in a different place among a different group of people, among people you didn't necessarily ever anticipate um, you know, raising your kids around or whatever. I mean, I moved here and I didn't know anybody. Um, and so I've had to learn so much, but just the title of your book, um, really intrigued me because I thought, my goodness, isn't this, even if you've never moved far away, even if you've lived your whole life in the same area, um, as believers, we are pilgrims. And so that that identity is, is, it links us all. And I wanted to ask you, what kind of personal experience, you kind of touched on this already, but what kind of personal experience led you to write this book? Well, in addition, in addition to many moves and relocations, I looked back at my adult life and also recognized that um, our church life has not always been neat and pretty. We've been a part of some um, very dysfunctional churches. I know that no one listening will be able to relate to that at all. That I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it's just me. But no, I know it's not just me because I've been writing for and about the church for a long, long time. Um, as well as my own experience, I hear from readers and um, just all of the things that are going on in in our world, in the church right now. So that was a part. Also, um, my own background is that I'm a Jewish follower of Jesus. So the Jewish people um, have a long, long history of wandering of exile, of being dispersed among the nations. And that experience for me, I realized, goes, it's at the DNA level. It goes so deep that I'm not even sure I can completely put words to it. And I've had a few people say to me over the years, but, but you're in Christ. And so that kind of gets erased. Well, it doesn't exactly get erased because it's all part of who we are and what our calling is in the world and in the church. Um, all of us carry a story um, that our background, our family origins, the places we're from, the places we've lived, all of that is a part of what God is using to tell his story. So because of all of those things swirling in my life and that sense of being unsettled, I began researching not what people had to say about it, but I kind of 
recognized that through scripture, there was a very powerful story of exile and pilgrimage and the fact that exile was never meant to be our destination um, as believers, as followers of Jesus. Um, he's always meant to turn those places of exile in our life into pilgrimage. You caught me in a moment where I was like thinking about verses from Jeremiah, <laughs> God's promises mm -hmm. to bring his people back. And I, it fascinates me because I think what it must have been like for the people in exile who had been faithful and they thought, well, why, why is this happening to me? Um, why am I experiencing this? And yet God speaks tenderly to those people, even though like as a covenant community, they had been taken out of, of Israel or Judah because of, of the unfaithfulness of the nation as a whole. But at the same time, God is, is caring for his people even while they're in exile. And it's so encouraging that you say that, um, that exile isn't their final destination. That's such an encouragement. It, if I could pick a kind of a thesis statement that captures the essence of the book, it is that exile is not the destination in our lives. Pilgrimage is. And because I use the words wanderer, exile and pilgrim in the book throughout, um, it, it's helpful, I think, to define the difference. And exile is someone who has been banished or sent from their homeland. A pilgrim is someone who's journeying toward a destination. So one of them it has a sense of expulsion, and the other one has a sense of calling. And um, then there's the word wanderer, which is kind of super popular um, in the idea that we all love the idea of taking awesome adventures and exploring and discovery that um, we kind of exempt wanderers as people um, who fit in either of those first two categories thinking, well, you know, they're you're just out having an adventure. But Wandering is, it, it kind of speaks to our restlessness, um, and it's kind of a, a subtle form of exile um, or directionlessness. But God is at work. He is at work. You're, you saw it in Jeremiah for sure. You hear it in the cry of the prophet saying, you know, where you're you're getting the consequences for your choices, people, but God's not done. The story's not over. And that's good news. Amen. I love that. That's so helpful to to have those definitions. And it is you're right, it is so trendy to have that that label of wanderer. I and mean, you see those bumper stickers, you know, not all who wander are lost. And mm -hmm. I can't help but feel that that is a gross misuse of Tolkien's words. But um, totally. just, <laughs> um, but just, just overall, just remembering that in all of our movement, in all of our, our life experience, that God is at work. Um, but what are some of those common ways people experience wandering? You, you touched on it, talking about church situations. And yes, I can't, I don't know a single person who has not gone through, you know, some kind of church difficulty or pain in the church. Um, what are some of those common ways that people experience wandering? 
Okay. Well, for some of us, it is our family. Our family sends us into exile through divorce, through death, through dysfunction that drives us apart from one another, that separates us. Um, we, we have the idea through Norman Rockwell and many 1950s TV sitcoms um, that our families are supposed to look a certain way and um, they don't. Most of them don't. Most of them, there's, there's pain and disruption in there. Others of us find um, wandering in our culture. If you're a minority group who has experienced um, systemic injustice or discrimination and find yourself on the outside looking in, you are going to be very aware that you're a wanderer at, at some level. Um, some of us, as I said before, find ourselves um, in exile because of local church dysfunction, splits, cliques, chaos at the leadership level um, can leave us feeling like outcasts from a place that's supposed to be our family. And I would be remiss if I didn't note the number of refugees in the world right now. Uh, the United Nations estimates that there's more than 65 million refugees in the world, asylum seekers, displaced people. And that is a very high amount. Our world is full of wanderers. I think it's also really easy to have this romanticized idea of the way life is supposed to be. And then just mm -hmm. to find yourself in this shock of realizing that, you know, you are wandering because your life doesn't look the way that you imagined it mm -hmm. would look. That's exactly right. It's very disorienting to feel like you're the only one or you're on the outside. And you and I know that that's never quite the way that God speaks to us. You know, we are, we are not alone. We're never the only one. Um, so that, that idea, when we're trying to figure out, as we do throughout our lives, um, who we are, that we, we can find our identity in our ethnicity, in our network of relationships, in our culture. We can probably even more unhealthily um, say that we can find our identity by what we do, you know, our work, our earning potential, our hobbies, our passions. Um, our ethics can define our identity as well. What choices we make, what choices we don't make, um, you know, and that kind of positions us, who we vote for, um, where we live. All of those things um, can help tell part of our story, but it is not who God says we are. None of those things do. Most of them um, ultimately are pretty changeable, not ethnicity, maybe, but what we do, definitely. When I was a homeschool mom, that was my identity. And as my kids got, um, you know, moved on and into their adult lives, um, 
I found myself wondering, now what? I mean, it was just like um, homeschooling is parenting on steroids. Empty nest of a homeschool mom is empty nesting on steroids. And so there was um, there was some of that disorientation. All my kids are in their 30s now, and I've got a grandson who's almost 16 years old. So, you know, I'm now far enough away that I recognize that um, having conversations regularly about who I am with myself, with trusted friends, um, you know, in small groups, just to be able to understand that those things, what you do is not who you are. The, those places of exile are not your destination. Those, that's a really strong message for me in my life. That's really helpful. I think it's it's good because no matter what stage you're at um, in life, whether you're you have a one year old or whether you have you know thirty year old children mm-hmm. and you're an empty nester, um, no matter what, you are always going to need to to completely anchor your identity in who Christ is mm-hmm. and what He's done for you. So I'm curious about what does it mean. Um, that you've talked about how, how to have an identity as a pilgrim. What does that mean to have that identity as a pilgrim? And, and, and in what ways does the gospel inform this identity that we have? Well, I can say uh, there were a couple of years ago, um, a writer named Rod Dreher had a book that came out called The Benedict Option. And um, it was very influential, got a lot of conversation um, lots of discussion among thinky kind of people online. And um, his contention in that book, and he's, he's a very intelligent, eloquent man, um, but his contention was, our culture is rotting. We who love Jesus need to build kind of an arc apart from culture, recognize how strongly we are cultural exiles, and kind of live into that, form alternative systems, form communities, all of all of those kinds of things. There's some there's truth in what he said, but that as I read that book and I was starting to kind of work through my ideas about my book, I realized that I wasn't sure that that was that made complete sense. There's something to it. Um, historically, but I think that there's an escapism that is very tempting for us to cling on to, to embrace our status as exiles and outsiders in our culture. The language is not without context. In John 17, Jesus tells us we're supposed to live in the world, but not be of it. And in 1 Peter we hear we're citizens of the kingdom and we're not bound by the world's ways. But again, exile is, it's like building a bunker. If that is the end point is escape, then we are um, missing the call to be neighbors, to live with courage, to be salt and light, to follow Jesus even when there's not a tidy map um, 
Pilgrims will recognize that there's a desire for self-preservation that's embedded in our hiding or culture warring or settling for a lesser kind of life that are not the marks of a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Courage is, confession is, faithfulness is, love is. I love hearing this from an older seasoned woman who has kind of walked that road of of just trying to sort out what does God mean for us to do? What is what does living in the world but not of the world mean? And I love that you point out that escapism and self-preservation are not those the answers. No. So in in light of the fact that Jesus doesn't call us to escape or to just, you know, huddle around and, you know, batten down the hatches and wait for the worst to happen, Jesus's command is follow me. And so how does that affect a Christian's identity and their direction and their as a pilgrim? Well, I, I'm going to address another trend that I, I see and have been confronted with um, pretty regularly in the church, which is that we are hearing Christian speakers, popular speakers, conference speakers, and book writers saying things like, discover your destiny, pursue your dreams, claim your promises, or wash your face. And this slogan-based approach to faith mixes a little bit of scripture in with our own desires for fame, fortune, comfort, and the American or Canadian dream. And it doesn't look much like the kind of journey that Jesus promised his followers. Um, Amen. (laughs) When we pursue worldly success, baptizing it in Bible sounding language, this passes in many quarters for the teaching about how to understand our identity in Christ. There was no fame or fortune bait on the hook when Jesus told Peter he was going to make him a fisher of men. There was no promise of celebrity when God spoke to Abram and told him to leave the comfort of home and family. Both men's lives and the lives of most of the others of the faithful ones highlighted in the Bible became less comfortable and far more uncertain after God called them. We learn who we are and whose we are as we follow him. Those who are settled and comfortable have no incentive to go anywhere. You write in your book about holy remembering, and this this term really is intriguing. What do you mean by that, and why do you feel it's so important? The This language, um, as much as I'm talking in some ways about looking forward, following Jesus, you know, no matter where he leads you. And I do have to just as an aside, say that he may lead you to stay put right where you are. He may call you to cross cultures. He may call you to cross the street, or he may call you to stay put and cultivate faithfulness where you are. That doesn't change what your pilgrimage is. But Um, Holy remembering is not a navel-gazing, retrospective look at our own experiences. Um, It is kind of a sanctified reflection about who we are, where we've been, 
understanding our strengths and weaknesses, acknowledging the gifts that God has given us. And even though we can't understand ourselves fully, according to Jeremiah 17, 9, Um, We've got deceitful hearts that will tell us stories that are not entirely true. Um, It is recognizing that God knows every thought. The the term to remember, the Hebrew word is zakar, which is um, a way in which God remembers us. He's bound to us. He remembers the fullness of his relationship with us. Every single second, every nanosecond of our lives. And so because he remembers us and acts on behalf of his people for their good in everything he does, whether in blessing or discipline, we see his love in this kind of remembering. And when he calls us to remember him, remember who we are and whose we are, it comes, this kind of remembering isn't where you put your car keys or making a list of your best, you know, personality traits or what part of your body you like the best. But it is um, to remember him the, in the way that he remembers us all the time. We can't do it the way he does, but that Memory serves to orient us toward God um, and away from ourselves, ironically. Even though I, I started out with this list of all these things that we are, holy remembering means that we're not the we're not the destination, that God is the giver. He has given us our lives, He's made us who we are. He has redeemed our mistakes, is transforming us, and he loves us. Oh, Michelle, that is so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is that's so helpful. And I really love that phrase, that sanctified reflection. And it's not navel gazing. It's remembering because God remembers us and that he is at work and he's going to accomplish his purposes. And oh, that's so, so helpful and encouraging. Thank you. Um, so. You you kind of touched on this a little bit ago. You said, you know, maybe maybe God isn't calling you to go out. Maybe he's calling you to stay in place. And so what does that mean to be a pilgrim in place? And why why do you feel that's such an important concept for many people? It's worth interrogating that a little bit. I talked to one um, person not long ago who got a little bit squirmy with the um, topic of the book which follows from Genesis to Revelation, the theme of pilgrimage and exile. And he's like, why well, haven't been anywhere? I've lived, you know, I've lived in the same place pretty much my whole life. I went to college less than 50 miles from home. And I, I said, oh, I envy that. I, I'll never get that. At this point in my life, I recognize that that is not how my, that's not what my life will look like. Um, even if I never move again after we move this summer, um, I, I, it won't be a lifetime ever because I've already lived 60 years moving a bunch of other places. But there's, I, I've discovered, um, and as I was writing the book, I asked many, many people, um, 
who've lived a long, you know, been in the same church for a long time, lived in the same place for a long time, had the same job for a long time. And there's kind of two different groups. There's some who stay where they are because it's comfortable. They value the familiar rhythms of their church life, or they have a sense of owner's loyalty to their friends. Um, you know, the community, their family's been there forever. Those aren't bad things, but those are not pilgrimage words. Those are settler words. Those are people who are just, you know, they're not asking the questions and letting the Holy Spirit kind of keep them a little bit unsettled. Others stay long-term because they are pilgrims. Sometimes, like in the case of a church, Sometimes staying put in a church is far more difficult than leaving one, especially if a congregation is going through a period of transition or division. It is just as possible to be a pilgrim in place in the same zip code as it is to be a soul in motion. You can pursue God in either place. So, um, you know, not always is pilgrimage a missionary call in the kind of missionary biography, traditional sense of the word, um, but pilgrimage has much to do with following Jesus where you are um, and recognizing that that will always leave you a little bit unsettled. It's not different than contentment discussion, but it will leave you a little bit unsettled. That is really fascinating. I love that. Thank you for explaining that. So what do you think is the reason why it's so difficult for someone to answer the question, where are you going? But at the same time, why is it so important to answer that question? Well, in the book of Matthew, Jesus tells a religious leader who wants to become his disciple Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's in Matthew 8. And Jesus was calling this man to unsettle himself and embrace a life of pilgrimage. He's calling us on that same journey. Those of us who are comfortable have no incentive to follow him. And those of us who are so sure that we're exiles, kind of victims of this terrible world we live in, hiding in a bunker um, and trying to find salvation apart from this world that God's placed us in and that we don't like, those people are actually not going anywhere either. Restlessness can flame in us um, Fan the flames of sin when we're seeking excess comfort or indulging excess fear. But that question of where are you going when we put it before God and we kind of hear the answer of Augustine of Hippo, who prayed famously in the fourth century, or this is quote is attributed to him. You've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. His prayer is the very best answer that I can give about where I'm going in my life. I was born to wander. I was born to follow Jesus, born again to follow Jesus. 
Can I trust him? Even when I'm not sure what the next steps are, that is the question that makes us pilgrims. That is so helpful. Thank you. I I know I keep saying that, but I just, that God can use people that we've never, ever met to, to just minister to us. And I, I, my prayer is that whoever's listening to this episode is just going to hear something that really meets them wherever they're at, whatever kind of wandering they're experiencing, whatever kind of pilgrimage, um, like, because ultimately we're all on the same destination towards God and himself and, and his, you know, his plan is to dwell with his people. And so, um, there's that comfort, but I just pray, my prayer is that this message today is going to really be a blessing and encouragement to somebody. Thank you very much for sharing all of this with us. Before we close out, I want to ask you something I ask everybody, which is, would you share something? Perhaps it's a resource or a passage or something in your life that the Lord has been using to grow you in your walk as you are on your wandering and on your pilgrimage towards him or, um, Maybe it's something in your relationship with other believers. Actually, I loved this question so much. I, I think that this is a question that um, I'm all about conversation. And um, I'm actually in a part of a conversation group with a bunch of other women where we discuss current issues or books we're reading. And we just practice the art of listening and hearing Um, And this is one of those questions for listeners that it's great to ask people around you, you know, what is God using in your life right now? What's, what's giving you life? What scripture message? What, what book are you reading? What, what practice are you doing that's surprising you or that's changing you? So my answer to this question is, um, it's Lent. So of course, you know, that's, that's like the most non-Jewish thing to do. But I love the Christian calendar as well. One of my earlier books um, was an exploration of the Jewish calendar and then the Christian liturgical calendar, because we've also spent lots and lots of time in um, all different kinds of churches because of our moves. And so I've, I've learned to appreciate the stories of both. So anyway, so it's Lent right now as we're talking And this year I decided because of the transition that's about to happen in our lives that I couldn't do anything really um, super heavy duty. But every day as part of my Bible reading, um, there's always a psalm or two that's a a part of the Bible reading that I do every day. And this year I'm standing as I'm reading the psalm and I'm reading it out loud every day which maybe sometimes it it feels a little weird to stand in the house and do this all by myself when no one's around or even weirder if there are people around. Um, And I don't yell it usually or anything, but it forces me to slow down, hear the words, say the words and put my body at attention. So right now, I've been practicing that and um, just having to slow down and to stand when I'm reading um, and praying those words has been um, kind of a really simple 
but um, stretching thing that's been going on these last weeks um, as le- of Lent. That is fantastic. I really, I really enjoyed hearing that. Thank you for sharing that. I actually, it's kind of funny. My husband and I were talking about this, the practice of of our posture when we're reading mm-hmm. the Word, because we read we read the Bible every evening with our kids, and um, you know you've had little kids, and so you know how wiggly everybody gets after mm-hmm. supper, and you know they're just kind of like can't wait to get out, and I mean they're used to now. They know Dad's going to pull that drawer open, he's going to pull the Bible out, and he's going to read, and so that's normal to them, but. We're still, I feel like with our littler ones, we're still like, okay, you know, we're going to give our attention to God's word. And so um, my husband said that for some of his life, he just thought, you know, you're basically your body was there to bring your brain to church. And so, oh my goodness, that's a really good, boy, that would be a whole podcast right there. (laughs) That's a topic. But our posture and how how that changes our perspective is, is just fascinating to me. So I, I'm actually going to give this a try. This is, I love the things that I glean from women I get to talk to here. So thank you for sharing that. It's great. Well, thank you again, Michelle, for joining me today. I am so thankful for this conversation and I just pray the Lord blesses you as you continue to write and, and encourage women. Thank you again. Yes. Really honored that I got to spend this time with you. First Peter 2, 9-12 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We are not promised ease as Christians, as sojourners and pilgrims, followers of Jesus. We have an identity as His people who have received His mercy and this call on our lives to pursue peace with one another to be holy in our conduct, and to conduct ourselves honorably does not necessarily lead to a life of ease, as most of us could attest. But as Peter says earlier in this letter to the exiles, we've been born again to a living hope through Jesus' resurrection, and we are awaiting our imperishable inheritance. God's promises to us are sure and secure in Christ, so no matter where we feel like we are wandering— No matter what our pilgrimage looks like, our destination is Christ himself, and because of his promise to dwell with us, we are not abandoned or left to ourselves on this journey of sanctification.